Hello everyone and welcome to the 61st episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. Yeah, I liked that one. <laughs> and we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I am excellent and let me tell you why. Okay. The homegrown schedule is out. Yes. Yes, it is. So for those of you who have not been listening for about a year, uh, we make a big deal out of Homegrown. It is a Duluth local music festival. I am in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Brittany participates in multiple other fashions. I indeed. And so it's great and it's fabulous. And they've been announcing like preset uh you know, like schedules that they send out to the band so people can say where they might have schedule conflicts. Mm-hmm. But the official schedule is out. My band, Vinsigahosen, uh-huh. is playing Tuesday, May 3rd at 10 p.m. at the Deck Harborside Ballroom. Nice! That is a good location. New venue for this year as well. Very new venue, and it's an all-ages venue, which means before we were at a 21-plus venue, but now if people want to, like, come that are uh, under 21, like some of my coworkers that might want to check it out, yeah, a few new, like, 19-year-old coworkers that are fascinated with the idea that I play the tuba. Legit. Now they can come see. That is awesome. I just wanted to, on the podcast here, read the description that they wrote for our band. Okay. Okay. Roll out the barrels and bust out the stein. Vinsigahosen is Duluth's hardest partying punk polka band. The cast of seven cranks out German beer drinking tunes with a confidence that can only come from the firm belief that Oktoberfest is a continuous, lifelong celebration. Kayla Moria fights for stage space with her tuba while Brian (laughs) Schazenbach pumps the accordion. Patrick Sunderland blasts a trumpet, and guitarists Luke Nyan and Abe Curran strum up a frenzy alongside bassist Eric Bong and drummer Al Bastian. Vocals are shared across the band and across the audience. That is awesome. Yeah, dude, they're writers. If anybody is interested and local and wants to check out Duluth Homegrown Music Festival, the schedule, everything, they have it all online at DuluthHomegrown.org. And it's really interesting, and that's our unsponsored plug for the day. Also, for those of you who have not been listening for a year, this isn't just like a two-day festival. This is a legit seven-day festival that spans not only across the city of Duluth, from downtown to the west side to Canal Park, but it also goes across the bridge into Superior, Wisconsin. This is a multi-state festival. That's awesome. Hell yeah. And last year... They, like, helped us out a lot and mm-hmm. posted mm-hmm. about our um, podcast and, like, p- like kind of amped it up because we had a special Homegrown Listener Story episode. Yes. We're still figuring out what we're going to do for Homegrown this year, but we'll find something. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. Anyway, Brittany, how are you? I'm pretty good. Oh, pretty good. I had good. a really fun time on Saturday. Yeah. Our we boys were the- so cute. Aqua affair. Oh my god, they were adorable. They're little Kayla matching I... flannels. Oh, it was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla and I 
uh, were like talking to the aquarium staff and they were off just gallivanting together being adorable we got to splash in the water yes i played in so much i went down a slide she went down a slide she put her head in a bubble which there's a photo of and uh yeah well we're gonna post the pictures and you got to network a little bit you got to like chat with i mean you do that anyway that's just kind of your thing Mm, yeah It's funny because I do it more in my personal life than I ever do for work, and that's all my boss wants me to do. (laughs) She's like, you got to network. You got to talk to people. We weren't there for your work. We were there for our podcast as reps. We were repping. Right. Apparently, I'm I'm supposed to do that for my job. (laughs) (laughs) You have Uh, uh, big plans coming up, too. Yes. Yes. Uh, for the first time in a very, very long time, Kayla and I are going to record two episodes in a week. Mm-hmm. We're going to, it's Monday. We're going to meet again on Wednesday, uh, which is the day before I uh, head out to San Diego, California. Sunny San yeah. Diego. I'm so, I'm so stoked wait. for you. Yeah, I'm stoked for me too. You picked a good week for it too because it's going to be cold and shitty this week. And the lowest it's supposed to be in San Diego during my whole trip, 68 degrees. Yeah, well, you can just go fuck off then. (laughs) As long as I'm in sunny San Diego, will I do it? (laughs) Keeping in mind that we have to record twice this week, I think it's time to just hop right on in. Yeah, let's crack into it. You said that we're not going to crack a beer yet want to say but you are want to say that we were crack into it so i'm gonna crack into a story that i wrote a while ago so i don't remember all the details y'all might be just as surprised as i will be i'm gonna tell y'all about the reed house hotel in chattanooga tennessee i do not know what that is um i do love the name of chattanooga though isn't that the name of a pep band song Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Something. Hold on. Hold if on. it was, I don't think we played it. But yes, look it up. It just makes me think of that Ellen Jackson song, Chattahoochee. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, never knew how much that muddy water meant to me. But I learned how to swim and I learned who I was. A lot about living and a little about love. Oh, crap. Never mind. I typed in Chattanooga pep band song and it brought up, obviously, all of the videos of the Chattanooga pep band. Of course. <laughs> that is not what I needed. <laughs> yes, of course. Of anyway. course. Anyway. So Chattanooga, Tennessee could probably be considered one of the more haunted cities in the United States. I feel like it's right there with New Orleans and Savannah. Okay. Part of that being because it was the location of one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. Oh. And of course, I wrote that and then didn't write which battle. Uh, hold on. Oh, it's literally called the Battle of Chattanooga. Wow. You know, despite the fact that it is a war that only took place in the United States, I feel like our American history just kind of glossed over a bunch of this. So I'm not surprised that I didn't know that. Anyway, it's haunted. Location of one of the bloodiest battles in the Civil War. It is also home to one of the most haunted locations, the Reed House Hotel which is located at 827 Broad Street. The original building on the property was built in 1847, 
right across from the railroad, which was the main source of the city's imports and exports. At the time, it was known as the Crutchfield House, named for the family that owned the property. Crutchfield's son took over ownership of the hotel in 1853 and operated the building until he ultimately sold it in 1861, fearing that the Civil War would result in the building's demise. At one point in 1863, the house served as a Civil War hospital to tend to the sick and mortally wounded Union soldiers who would arrive by the railway tracks across from the land. The original building burnt down in 1867, and Crutchfield decided not to rebuild. So he sold the property years later to Dr. John T. Reed. Reed, alongside his wife Caroline, opened another hotel on the former Crutchfield House site. This three-story structure had rooms starting at $1 per day, and it featured a restaurant, cafe, grill, and Turkish bath. Damn. It even had a ticket office for the railroad located within the building for added convenience. The Reed's son, Samuel, took over the hotel in 1879 at the young age of 19. Seven years later, Samuel Reed ordered a renovation of the hotel, and in 1925, the majority of the structure was demolished to make way for the present 10-story building on site. So it went from sort of like a tiny bed-and-breakfast almost situation to a 10-story hotel? Yep, in a series of demolishings and remodelings. The site of the hotel has a lot of gruesome stuff attached to it. There are stories of murders, suicides, and natural deaths that have occurred in both the Crutchfield House and the Reed House. One of the most popular stories is that of Annalisa Netherly, who stayed in room 311. There are three major tellings of Annalisa's story, depending on who you ask. Some accounts claim that she was a prostitute, who was brought to the hotel by a Confederate soldier who murdered her and left her in the room. Oh, I don't like that story at all. No, nobody does. Other accounts claim that she arrived at the hotel with her lover or husband, one or the other, sometime during the 1920s and had an extended stay there. This story concludes that her lover left her heartbroken and she committed suicide. I like the assumption that a husband cannot also be a lover. (laughs) (laughs) But both of these stories sound very cookie cutter. The kind of story told when you want to guess at why a place is haunted. The stories that have been told 800 times in television and movies. Is she a lady in white? You know, they don't call her a lady in white. That's but totally I could see a lady like, in white story. Yeah, yeah. The most believing and convincing story to me was the claim that Annalisa arrived at the hotel in the 1920s and was murdered by a jealous husband or boyfriend. According to this version of the legend, Annalisa was caught with another man and her throat was slashed from ear to ear, almost decapitating her, and her body was found soaking in the bathtub hours later. Wait, did you say that was your favorite one? Most believable, because it had the most details. Most believable, okay. I was like, wow, Kayla. It had the most details and the most, like, here's what was laid out, whereas the other ones were kind of just general. The Reed House Hotel embraces that version of the story. Their website boasts... There are many who believe that room 311 is haunted by the ghost of Annalisa Netherly, a guest who was allegedly beheaded in the bathtub by a jealous lover in 1927. Over the years, a number of guests have reported paranormal activity in the room, including unexplained noises, flickering lights, running water, shadowy figures, and more. The haunted room is well known by many locals who have experienced paranormal activity of their own. 
Guests who have stayed in room 311 swear to have felt Annalisa's presence, and some say they have even seen her. Room 311 was restored to its original 1920s state during the hotel's Ooh. latest renovation because they're trying to make her comfortable. That is awesome and probably super pretty. It really is. It's it's gorgeous. It's very pink. <laughs> that makes sense. Many of the original elements of Annalisa Netherly's time remain, including a vintage clawfoot tub, an AM radio. Nice. A manual lock on the door requires the use of a physical key, not a key card. Just like the hotel guests would have used in 1927. And wait, tours so, of the room are available upon request. Wait, so everything else in the hotel is modernized, but they mm-hmm. left this one room completely like 1920s style? Yeah. That is so awesome. Well, and they were guests were getting so many complaints about it that when they did the renovation, that's why they decided to do this. It's yeah. partially like touristy, but then their other claims are we're trying to make her home. They don't rent this room out. They don't? There's I'll get to that in a second. There's like a very special instance that they did, but for the most part, they really don't. Interesting. And that's not all. Room 311 is also known for housing Al Capone on his way to the federal trial for tax evasion in Chicago. What? At the time, the windows of the room were secured with rebar to prevent his escape. And according to a press release, the hotel reinstalled this unique feature so guests could get a glimpse of what it looked like during that time. <laughs> if you want to so look it's this like very pretty, jail. like, ornate room with rebar on the windows. Well, that's just silly. The Reed House went all out to make it an authentic experience, so don't expect anything too fancy. The room was restored to make Annalisa Netherly comfortable, not today's hotel guests. General Manager Ken Merkel explained on the hotel website, the room does not have any of the modern amenities the other room in the hotel offer, and it is not meant to. The 2018 renovation also had its share of strange occurrences surrounding room 311. In addition to experiencing several busted pipes, the hotel's ownership group had issues accessing the room on demolition day. When the keys and later brute force didn't work, construction crews had to saw the door open to get in. Oh my god. She really didn't want anything to happen to her room. Right. An anonymous post from April 10th of 2021 on TennesseeHauntedHouses.com said, We was replacing the tile in the bathroom of each suite. We started working in 311 and the fire alarm kept going off every so often until we got finished with that room and then it stopped happening. It was an unsettling feeling the whole time in there and hotel staff know all about it and share their experiences. Now that room is padlocked to prevent those who might try to sneak in by themselves. And it's not technically room 311 anymore. It's room 313. When they remodeled, the rooms got switched around a bunch. The room number changed after the remodel, but they still call it room 311 because aesthetics. In October of 2019, for the first time since its massive $28 million renovation, the hotel offer guests a very rare opportunity to spend the night in the haunted room. The Reed House Haunted Room 311 Experience Package started at an appropriately creepy $666 (laughs) and included exclusive overnight accommodations in Room 311, complimentary valet parking, an in-room decanter of bathtub gin, two 311 cocktails at the bar and billiards room, a $100 dining credit at the hotel's Bridgman's Chop House restaurant, and in-room breakfast service. 
It was only offered as one night stays for a limited amount of days a month. So it was only on specific weekends in the October of 2019. That's the only time they've rented out that room. I mean, given the fact that people would literally pay $666.66 for one night, they are really missing out on a gold mine. <laughs> when Melanie Koblenz of the Kidding Around Greenville blog visited the hotel in July of 2020, she had no idea she was checking into a haunted hotel. While staying, she encountered the information and asked to see the room, and they happily obliged. They let her right in. This blog is like a blog for people to do stuff with their kiddos, so naturally her kids were with her, and they got to see the room too. Okay. So, her and her kiddos head up with the Reed House Hotel employee, Clay, to check the room out. They walked up the third floor hallway to a door that had a deadbolt on it. None of the other rooms have this deadbolt. Clay unlocked it for them and let them in, informing them that the room had been left with all its original furnishings and wallpaper except for one item. Melanie didn't want to ruin it for the readers, but she did say that the one item had to be replaced because it was stained with blood. She was then informed by Clay that Annalisa's ghost is not a huge fan of men staying for extended periods of time. I wonder why. Right? None of these versions of this story lead to a ghost who is happy with a man. No, it seems like either way she was done dirty. But that wasn't the only famous room that experienced some activity. Melanie said, I think the other rooms might have friendlier guests. I mean, ghosts just hanging out in them. The desk lamp in our room kept flickering, and I just figured that the building was so old, so it was probably the wiring. Mm -hmm. Imagine my shock when we were told that all of the wiring had been replaced just four years prior. The entire building, all of it. I went back to the room and realized it wasn't just the lamp. It was the power to the desk and everything plugged into it. Say what you will, but I'm thinking there were four of us in that hotel room. And she has and there two, is two children? Two children, the mom, and this ghost. And that's not the only report of a ghost other than Annalisa being there. Guests have also seen spirits in the lobby and dining room. Some say an older man who looks like owner John Reed. Others have felt misery and despair that they attribute to Union soldiers and hospital residents who died on the property. Ghost soldiers have been seen roaming the fourth floor appearing to be searching for something. Another report says that people have been known to see a reflection of a soldier while walking by the mirrored walls in the Grand Ballroom. Another party mirror ghost. One poster on TripAdvisor with the screen name Magic9S9 said, My son stayed there this week for a conference in Chattanooga. While he was there, I looked up the hotel and found out about the haunted stories, so I texted him and told him that he was staying in a haunted hotel. So being the curious teenager he is, he explored, asked questions and such. He never believed that stuff, but said he was walking the halls for something to happen. He was calling for the girl ghost, like trying to basically fake it out. He was trying to say like, yeah, mom said this is haunted. I don't believe it. And he was antagonizing. Girl ghost. Girl ghost. Ooh. He and his roommates were in bed watching TV later and he got pinched. Another totally pinching ghost. <laughs> there was a knock on the door at 10.30 p.m. They answered pretty quickly, and there was nobody around. 
He said there was no way someone could have knocked on their door and ran. They would have seen them or at least heard another guest room door shut. He was definitely weirded out about the whole thing. He didn't even tell us about it until he got home, and they were on the fourth floor. Whether or not you believe the stories of Annalisa, it sounds like this is the kind of hotel you'd enjoy staying at. They've got a rating of 9 out of 10. Oh, well, that's not too shabby. And that was on um, one of the travel websites. They got a 4.7 out of 5 on Expedia, 4.4 out of 5 on Google, 4.5 out of 5 on TripAdvisor. It's like high scores all around, and the hotel looks beautiful. So it is another one to add to our list of places we have to visit. And it just so happens that it is beautiful and haunted. I mean, at this point, why would we stay in a hotel that isn't haunted? At this point, why would we stay in a hotel that isn't beautiful? I mean, there's so many beautiful haunted hotels out there. We just gotta visit them all. I agree. And that... Let's get on that. (laughs) And that is the story of the Reed House Hotel in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I loved it. I like how active the ghost is, and I really enjoy that they, uh placate her right that's so nice so on a skeptic scale of para to normal para being five normal being one what are you gonna give it 3.5 legit i'm gonna give it a four awesome because i feel like it has to be haunted for them to spend the additional money just to make this one room special and then not even rent out the room yes for sure like, that's lost revenue. Yeah. People are willing to pay over $600 just to stay yeah. for one night. So. And I get it. Like, they probably wouldn't be able to charge that all the time. Like, it's it's definitely an exclusivity thing. Right. But still, people paid it. Like, they sold out, like, in a snap. That's insane. All right, we would have to rent a room right next to that room. We could really get a room anywhere there because it does sound like they have hauntings throughout the rest of it. We might want to maybe aim for fourth floor. Okay. How about the fourth floor above that room? Yep. So, but the other thing being, it sounds like all you have to do is just ask for at some point during your stay, like, hey, can I get a tour? And they'll let you do it. They don't charge from that for everything I was seeing. That's awesome. And yet another story that somehow incorporated Al Capone. I was going to say that when you brought him up, is I never bring up Al Capone. I think I maybe did once when I did the Wabasha Caves, but man, yeah. you love your gangsters. I don't even love He's them that much. Everywhere. I, I find it, like, mildly interesting. Like, that's the kind of true crime I get more behind, is, like, not the murdery, but the gangstery stuff. But right. Al Capone. I mean, they murdered really... a lot of people too. <laughs> True. You know, but I mean, like, like a lot. serial killery. Like, oh, a lot. Okay. Yeah. You know what I but mean. But like, a lot. But yes, I, I, I do bring up gangsters a lot. Yeah. It's like every, it's every other story of yours has gangsters somehow. But that's because I usually stay very Midwest. That's true. That's true. And that's where they were prominent. Yeah. Go figure. Well, I'm stoked to hear about what you've got coming for me tonight, Mm -hmm. but we should probably uh, get on in this ad before we do that. Oh, I'm going to say it again. Let's crack into it. (laughs) 
and I had an amazing time at the Great Lakes Aqua Fair this last weekend, and we wanted to share with you some information about how you can support this great organization. Great Lakes Aquarium is a nonprofit connecting all people to the water and wildlife of Lake Superior and beyond. As a nonprofit, funds raised through visitors' donations and memberships are invested right back into programming, exhibits, animal care, and staffing. Right now, you can become a member starting at just $60. Benefits include free admission to the aquarium, 364 days a year, free parking at the aquarium's lot, special event invitations, 10% off the Explorer's Cove gift shop store, and more. Purchase a membership for yourself or as a gift to a family member or friend. To learn more and to purchase a membership, visit their website at glaaquarium.org or click the link tree in our bio for a link to the Great Lakes Aquarium website. Thank you. And we're back. Beautiful. I always do it in the exact same way. Yeah, you're you are a creature of habit and I love it. I am. Because you do the same thing every time I finish a story, almost every time. You go, I loved it. Except <laughs> except for the stories where you really didn't like the ghost. And then you're like, like, no. I no. didn't like it. I didn't <laughs> like it. All right, what do you got for me this week? Give it, give it, give it, give it. Okay, so I had originally told you that I was planning on covering another exorcism because we've only done one. Yes, yes. However, I decided to save that story for a different time because I felt like it just needed a little bit more research. I saw that there was like way more material than I had time to actually like sort through. So it's coming. It's coming. You hear that, Mom? No exorcism this week. You're fine. Keep listening. Don't back out. So instead, I am heading to Arizona. Mm. We're both getting a little southern, just different areas of southern this this week. I was going to do a southern accent, and I couldn't pick it in my brain, so you get nothing. <laughs> I'm sleepy. All right, so I headed to Arizona where I'm going to tell you about the Jerome Grand Hotel. Never heard of it. Yeah, I thought at first that it was a brand new story for me as well, but there is this one part later on that kind of sounds familiar, and I cannot decide if it's something that has happened at another hotel or if this is the same hotel that I remember hearing years ago. Okay. Anyway. The hotel was originally constructed as the United Verde Hospital in 1926 in Jerome, Arizona. It was owned by the United Verde Copper Company, UVCC, which was one of the largest copper mines in the United States. And, fun fact, from its founding in the 1880s until it closed in 1953, it produced over 2 billion pounds of copper, silver, and gold. Wow. Meanwhile, here in Minnesota, we got people vandalizing like construction sites just to steal like a little bit of copper pipe. Right? Yeah. Valuable shit. Precious metals. But back to the hospital. All right. So when it opened in January of 1927, it was considered a state-of-the-art medical facility. 
In fact, in 1930, it was listed as one of the most modern and well-equipped hospitals in Arizona, possibly in all of the Western United States. Which all of the sources say, however, no one seems to be able to credit where that particular thing was written. Everyone just keeps saying, it was written, that it was the best. The building was the last major building to be built in the city of Jerome, and it is also the highest. It is well noted as being the highest commercial building in all of Verde Valley, standing as tall as 5,240 feet above sea level. Ooh. Ooh. I, I, I have no concept of height. Me I'm neither. just being but straight I up hear... honest. I'm like, wow, that sounds tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also don't really have any concept of height, but they made a really big deal about it. They also made a really big deal about the kind of elevator and the sort of equipment that's used to make it go up and down. But I did not include that because I just didn't understand why that was as big of a deal. But whatever. Uh, it is also considered to be an architectural masterpiece because not only was it constructed of poured in place concrete, but it also sits on a 50 degree slope of solid bedrock. The entire building, all 30,000 square feet of it, is designed to be fireproof. There is not a single piece of wood in the framework. Also, it was designed to be earthquake proof. And not just because of actual earthquakes, uh, but it also needed to be able to withstand the blast of 260,000 pounds of dynamite. <laughs> the United Verde Hospital, which would later be called the Phelps Dodge Hospital when the Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation purchased UVCC. So the hospital served the mining city of Jerome, as well as its surrounding communities until 1950, when the hospital was closed due to the mining operations beginning to like shut down. And also medical services were now available in the neighboring community of Cottonwood, which is where most of the staff from the hospital was transferred to. And for the next 44 years, the building just stood unused. Just chilled there. Yeah. Just like, I'm pretty. I'm heavy. I'm made of complete concrete. <laughs> I've got no wood in me. Bye. Oh, that's what she said. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking Pinocchio. I was trying to do a version of that. I ain't got no strings to hold me down. <laughs> I, I took it a different direction than you did. Very different. I was talking about a childhood classic. You went I was talking about a high school dirty. classic joke by However, sexual finger guns. In the 1970s, Jerome became a bit of a happening artist haven. And folks started opening up art and craft shops which then brought the tourists, which called for more hotels and bed and breakfast, all that fun stuff. And by the 1990s, it seemed like what Jerome really needed was a high-class hotel for all of their fancy, fancy art-loving guests. And what better way to do a high-class hotel than one made of concrete? Fancy concrete on a big <laughs> slope. <laughs> Architectural marvel, Kayla. <laughs> Don't be knocking my architectural marvel. Anyway, so in 1994, a man named Larry Alther purchased the building from the Feltz Dodge Mining Corporation along with his brother, Bob. Because all of my stories seem to just have a Bob. Obviously. So Larry and Bob bought the old hospital in 1994. 
transformed it into a grand hotel and opened it to the public in 1997. And it sounds like pretty immediately after opening, the hauntings began. Again. <gasps> Wait, what do you mean again? You didn't say hauntings before. <gasps> what could she Dramatic mean? Dramatic gasp. But I'm not surprised because, like, hospital, hotel, like, of the abandoned buildings. Now, granted, like, some of them are still inhabited, but at least abandoned building-wise, I feel like hospitals and hotels both rank up there for the most activity paranormal-wise. Legitimately, we have significantly more hospitals and or hotels than any other topic. Legit. Okay. According to the ghostlyfavorites.com, quote, what makes the Jerome Grand Hotel a worthwhile place to stay is the fact that this is probably one of the most active haunted locations in the world. That's a bold claim. What? So let's talk about it. First, there are the strange noises. People will claim to hear coughing, labored breathing, moaning, and even disembodied voices coming from empty rooms. And even worse, some guests will hear them from the corner of their own room. Mm-mm. Which is Mm-mm. an absolute nightmare for someone with misophonia, which was my first thought. I'm like, can you imagine laying in bed and having someone go, The fuck is misophonia? <laughs> I'm sorry. Without knowing that, that was probably a very odd thing to say. (laughs) Okay. Misophonia translates to a hatred of sound. Uh, And people with misophonia tend to dislike uh, mouth noises and, uh, like, repetitive sounds and stuff like that. So I have misophonia, so, like, loud chewing makes me want to break my own face like Dude, it is so much of the deep... editing shit makes so much more sense now oh why i take so long and it's so perfect and why you get you're not annoyed but like why my editing is so very different than yours yeah it's because i hate because you're like a really hard time you're like i gotta cut sounds. out all the breaths <gasps> and i'm like don't Just leave the breaths in there. It's fine. And you're like, okay, it's all making so much more sense now. And sometimes I'll do a double take because I'm like, oh, I made too many mouth sounds. And you're like, okay, what does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Nightmare for someone with misophonia. Just someone standing in the corner of your room just breathing loudly. (laughs) No, no, no. Gross. Gross. Um, But this actually isn't a new phenomenon. It is said that even back when the building was the United Verde Hospital, staff and patients would complain of these strange noises in the room. And it sounds like one of the main theories as to why these disembodied mouth sounds go as far back as they do is that perhaps they originated during a deadly flu epidemic, which caused a particularly high death toll in Jerome at some point when it was a mining town. So, so many people died in that hospital when it was a mining town that even after the epidemic, the other folks just lingered. More specific than just random mouth sounds, 
is that there is a ghostly figure known as the bearded apparition. Thought likely to be a miner or someone associated with the mining community, he seems chill, friendly. Bearded chill guy. Would yeah. Fit right in with half of our friends. Exactly. He gets it. He can come <laughs> to Duluth. One story of the bearded apparition dates all the way back to hospital times. And it goes that one night, a night nurse had left one of her patient's rooms, turning the call light off as she went. When she returned back downstairs, she noticed that all of the call lights were on again. She was pretty annoyed. Understandably so. Exactly. So she assumed that the one lone patient on the ward was up to mischief. So she went back upstairs to see what in the gosh darn heck was going on. And... (laughs) When she got there, everything seemed to be in order, and her patient was right where she left him. And the patient, the man, told the nurse that there was a bearded man who glided down the hallway, turning on all the lights as he went. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know about that there, uh, it still feels very prankstery. Like, I know it's a ghost, but you know Mischief. how she was thinking it was the, the, the one lone guest being a prankster? I still doesn't feel malevolent to me. It still feels prank prankstery, just not human, beardy ghosty guy. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a guest. It was a patient. And yes, he's, well, I didn't mean you know what I meant. We were talking about hotels, so then I went guest. He's mischievous. mischievous. There's also another story of a night nurse who experienced the bearded apparition. So she was about to leave the floor that she was on. She saw a bearded man who she assumed was his patient out of bed. But as she approached him, he disappeared before her very eyes. This bearded mischief maker continues to be seen today, and several hotel guests have seen the bearded man and experienced his fondness for turning off the lights. Okay, so this is where I keep coming from, like, the hopping between the hotel and the hospital. Like, that's why I said guest, is because of my brain. I'm like, guest... Yeah, a lot of the stories talk about the same apparitions that existed when it was a hospital and are continued to be experienced as a hotel, which is why I very dramatically said, again, at the beginning. (laughs) There are two female apparitions that have been seen at the hotel. The first is a nurse who carries around a clipboard. Though she is actually thought to be more of the result of a residual haunting, just a memory that keeps playing over and over again. She is known to roam the halls, pausing and leaning down at intervals as if she's checking on patients in beds that no longer exist. Oh. The other is a sad story. All right, hold on. Hold on. Let me cross my legs and get prepped for... Sadness. A sad story. (sighs) All right. Yeah, so... She's a woman in white. She's a patient who died in childbirth, as well as her baby. And when the baby died, the staff buried it in an unmarked grave. And she's so distraught over the treatment of her child that she is said to wander the hotel searching for her child's final resting space. Because she can't find him. That's really sad. Is that... Obviously, the child's unmarked grave. This is where I, the point in the story where I usually try to go to, like, find a grave and see if I can figure out who it was. Because in my brain, like, if a woman dies in childbirth and it was a wanted child, Mm -hmm. 
Like, why wouldn't you just bury them together? That's a really good question. Because I definitely understand why the grave would be unmarked. Because if Mm -hmm. the mother died before she could name the baby, the baby didn't have a name. But that's like the infant story from that one graveyard. Oh, yeah. Infant daughter. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's just sad. It's just sad. Just like. I'm sorry. Like. I'm sorry. Will you bring it down the mood, Brittany? I'm sorry. I can tell you about some other (laughs) stuff, though. Yes. Okay. So people will also often report the unexplained smell of flowers and dust, though that one seems pretty explainable. It's dust, cigarettes, and whiskey. (laughs) And almost daily, people will report the sounds of footsteps going up and down the halls and the stairs. Fans turn on and off by themselves. Locked doors seem to magically unlock themselves, particularly at night. So it's not really a safe place because the doors just unlock themselves at night. And one (laughs) guest in room 32 watched in horror as the bathroom door in his room quietly opened. And Mm -mm. then closed. Nope. Nope. By itself. No, that'll fuck with me so much harder than most ghostly. I like seeing an apparition, I can deal with that. But the, door. the slow open and close of a door, absolutely not. I'm checked out. Did it help that I I'll did go it sleep so in the poorly. fucking car? No, it was gorgeous. It was a beautiful rendition oh, okay. of a creaking door. Thank you. <laughs> People will also report the ghost of a five or six year old boy. He will appear in front of guests on the third floor smile and then disappear and then there is good old claude now his story goes that in 1936 a fireman engineer named claude m harvey known to everyone in town as scotty was found dead scotty doesn't know that fiona and me do it in my van every sunday i was gonna make a reference to that later Thank you for stealing church, but she doesn't go. So she's on her knees and Scotty Scotty doesn't know. know. Anyway, so Scotty was found dead in the basement. (laughs) 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 And it appeared as if the elevator had pinned him to the ground, crushing his head. Oh, poor Scotty. Scotty doesn't know. Don't tell Scotty. Scotty doesn't know. Uh, it was just weird, though, that this is also the second story about an elevator-like device, like, killing someone by squishing their head that I've told. Uh, the first one was the dumbwaiter. Uh, but he was also very yeah. angry. That chef. Yeah. However, in regards to what happened to Scotty, the elevator was in perfect working order, so it wasn't like it was an accident. And people didn't believe that Scotty would kill himself. So the natural conclusion that everyone drew was that Scotty Claude had been dun 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 murdered. Chunk chunk. That was the law and order sound if you didn't get that. Oh, I didn't, but thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> this was, however, 1936, and forensics weren't really a thing. So although there were several theories and suspects, no arrests were ever made, and Scotty was not happy about it. Who killed Scotty? Scotty doesn't know. (laughs) Word on the street is that he now wanders the building, the hallways, the lobby, the staircases, the basement, all of which they listed out, but that pretty much just sounds like everywhere. 
and he isn't likely to stop until the truth of his death is discovered. People report seeing lights in the elevator shaft, the sound of the elevator creaking as if it's moving even when it's unused and stationary, and folks claim to have seen the shadowy figure of a man in the basement, on the stairs, all around the hotel, who is often described as being, like, of an angry demeanor. And although he makes people hella uncomfortable, he doesn't actually seem to cause any harm. He just is scary. So not as angry as that chef. Not as scary as that chef. Yeah, he doesn't, like, throw boxes of dishes. But still, like, not stoked. No. No, no. He, He makes people very uncomfortable. Understandably so. Employees sitting at the lobby desk have felt an angry glare of a presence standing on the stairs. The feeling becomes so strong that they look up and then they see this shadowy figure just standing there. After it seems to notice that it's being noticed, it retreats back up the stairs. (laughs) I don't know why that just sounds like the worst thing. Like I associate it with like a noise. I hope that it walks backwards. I hope like, a crab walks backwards. No, ew, Kayla, why? Because <laughs> uh, it would piss you off. <sighs> Kayla. <laughs> there is also a something that harasses the maids. According to hauntedhouses.com, quote, Maids cleaning the empty rooms and hallways are the favorite targets for teasing entities who like to get some chuckles at the living's expense. However, when the maids tell them to stop, the teasing does subside for a couple of days, which I guess is good. Maids have heard someone calling their names when they are completely alone on the floor. Doors to the rooms and the closet doors have slammed shut on the maids as well. And one unseen entity that didn't like the sound of the loud vacuum in the hallway rudely rushed by a maid in the form of a cold, unseen presence nearly pushing her over, unquote. Seems a little overboard. If you ask me. Yeah, definitely rude. And the hotel desk staff doesn't really have it any better. The lobby doors will often open then close as if some unseen presence is coming or going. And one employee who was sitting at the front desk heard a commotion in the gift shop. She went to check it out and discovered that merchandise was flying off the shelves and landing on the floor. Another employee had rearranged the chairs in the lobby right in front of the main desk. When she turned her back to attend to something else and then turned around again, all the chairs had been moved back. Which sounds both annoying and also a little bit insulting. It's like when you, like, adjust something and then someone comes along after you and is like, "Mm, I think it needs to be a little bit more this way. Yeah, no, I don't like that. Like, when I set up my desk and somebody comes and, like, quote, fixes it for me, like, leave my desk alone. Yeah, I had it the way I wanted it. Bro. And yet another employee sitting at the front desk watched in fascination as a posted plaque of the hotel rules lifted itself off the nail it was hanging on and flew to the middle of the lobby carpet. The front desk often gets phone calls from empty rooms, and there is an apparition of an old woman dressed in a fine white dress that appears in the stairwell next to the elevator. I don't like the phone calls from empty rooms. That would freak me out. Why is it that that is so scary? It's because when you get a phone call, uh-huh, you expect that somebody like needs you for something. Right. But then when nobody talks, 
does somebody need you and they can't get a hold of you? It's an unease of feeling like you're missing something important. Staff as well as guests frequently report bedside table lamps and televisions being unplugged, shampoo bottles rolling across the floor or flying across the room, and the sound of doors opening and closing in rooms that are otherwise vacant. Guests have found electronics such as cell phones and camcorder camcorders. Such an old word, it really tripped me up. Uh, guess, <laughs> guests have found electronics such as cell phones and camcorders dead center beneath the bed. And last but not least, I'm closing us out with the ghost cat. Oh, we love a good ghost cat. This cat is a frequent visitor to the hotel, though its origins are unknown. Uh, the cat has been heard meowing, hissing, and scratching at the doors and walls. Both staff and guests have heard and felt the cat brush against their legs and snuggle against them while in bed. Most notably and commonplace is the imprint on the bedding of what is believed to be the cat curled up on bedding that was just moments earlier smooth and straight. Oh, that's too cute. I love it. And that is the story of the Jerome Grand Hotel. That was adorable. Most well, I mean actually most of it wasn't adorable, but No, the, but the uh, end the was really good. The end yeah. Just really caught me. It was like, yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Rubbing up against your legs. I'm snuggling. It was your story was a great mix of things that I like and that really actually creep me out. Yeah, I don't like that. Mm-mm. And the like and the the cre the figure that receded up the stairs because <laughs> as I thought about it, I what? attributed I attributed more creepy aspects to it than you actually stated. In my head, it's just got creepier. Like, well, what if it not only, like, went back up the stairs? What if it was staring? What if it was crab walking? What if it had, uh, like, there's all these things that my brain just went to the worst case scenario for. I can't decide if I think it goes really quickly up the stairs or if it slowly just, like, backs up. Like, you don't see me. It's definitely creepier if it goes quicker. I'm just imagining little kids if they're like leaning over a staircase trying to spy and then like the adult looks at them and they're like, ah, up the stairs. Making a lot of sound effects tonight. A lot of mouth noises, one could say. <laughs> a lot of things that people with misophonia don't like. I mean, I normally pronounce it misophonia, but it is also said that way. On a skeptic scale, uh huh, I'm going to say four. I am going to give it a 4.25. Ooh, we're going to the quarters. Yeah. I went with the four because it. there are many reasons for this area to be haunted. Mm-hmm. And I just find it more believable that it would be than not, especially once you get into the accounts of people experiencing it. From both the hospital time and the hotel time. Yes. I gave it a 4.25 for the same reasons as you. I also love stories where people in the 1930s will experience the same apparitions as someone in, like, today times. I don't know why. It's just nice. It's a continuation thing. Yeah. I Yeah, exactly. I have a Reddit story for you this evening. Normally, I share the Reddit story, like, title, but I'm not going to do that because it gives away what I'm about to do. Ooh, okay. 
It's not very long at all, but it called to me because we're going to hearken back to episode seven. You've been doing a lot of callbacks lately, and I appreciate that. It's because when I'm looking up things, I'm looking up on Reddit, like, things that are similar to stuff I've learned about because I think it's interesting to back stuff up. So if we hearken back to episode seven of Left of Skeptic, I talked about fearsome critters. And one of the things with fearsome critters is that it's very Midwest-based. It's part of why I picked it. But they all seemed kind of hokey and not believable. But one thing that's kind of been trending lately on the internet, it's, it's creeping me out and I'm starting to believe it more, kind of ties into this Reddit story. So this was posted on the paranormal subreddit by user Nodztv. It's spelled N-O-A-D-D-S-T-V. I don't know how you'd attempt to pronounce that other than Nodztv. So this user posted, I'm not exactly sure how to start this, so I'll just get right into it. This was last year after a winter in Drummond, Montana, I was staying at my friend Wyatt's house for the weekend, and we decided to go out and smoke a bowl at the football field. We were sitting at the end of the field, staring directly at a football post. Before we even started smoking, Wyatt tells me to look in the direction of the post. As I'm trying to make out what he's trying to show me, I notice it kind of looks like someone was trying to poke their head out from behind it. I was sure it was nothing, so I ignored it, and we started smoking. Wyatt keeps on looking at the other side of the field and tells me to keep my eye on it for a while. I started to understand why he kept looking at it, because it almost looked like it was something peeking its head out from each side of the post every few seconds. Instead of giving a fuck, I decided to finish my bowl and then just go see what it was. So after we were done, we started to head to the other side of the field, towards the post, As we got closer, the movements got more rapid and the shape seemed distorted. But that could have been my eyes playing tricks on me since it was dark out and you were high. I was going to say, I think that's a really important thing. But okay. We were about 60 feet from the post when we both heard a loud metallic growl coming from the direction of the post. And that's what made me a little uneasy about the situation. But instead of rational thinking, we continued to walk closer. Smart. When we got to the post, there was nothing. Nothing that could have been moving and definitely no one there. Not sure what this was, but the reason I decided to post this was that I recently was reading up on American folklore and found out about something called hide-behinds. And it just seems similar and creeped out by reading about it. Uh, yes, that sounds exactly what you were talking about with hide-behinds like a year ago. Dude, hide-behinds. They're like... they. Literally, and that's what a bunch of the comments were like, dude, loggers were scared of those things. They hide behind trees and then they flap you. But this has actually been picking up in popularity is the idea of hide behinds. Some people have made like little like mini skit horror movies out of them and stuff. So it could be ramping up because of that. Right. But the idea is terrifying. Something that is so skinny that it can hide behind a tiny little tree and just peek out at you and attack you when it needs to. That's so Mm -mm. gross. It almost reminds me of that TikTok that you sent me about the imaginary friends. And it was the girl, you see the girl's back and she's talking to someone. And then once the adult walks into the room, she stops talking. And then someone peeks around the side of her and the adult like walks in super fast and there's no other child in there. It's like the ghost version uh, of the behind. You know what? Now you said that I will make sure to post this on our TikTok so that people can see it because it is. Yucky. A fucking freaky. Yucky. So I will post it. 
so that y'all can see it because it's gross, but so cool. And you will watch it at least five times. Yep, I did. I did, in fact, watch it at least five times. <laughs> if you have a listener story you would like to share so we can read a listener story instead of a Reddit story, we would love that. You can do so by visiting our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, or emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also click the link tree in our bio, and there's a link to submit right from there, too. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you are the most comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, another episode down, baby. Baby. I've been saying San Diego baby on everything. <laughs> like my request for time off said San Diego baby. So... I'm so stoked for you. We're going to have an interesting couple of weeks coming up. It's still going to be good. Uh And it's almost homegrown season. And it's almost spring, (sighs) which makes my little heart, my little cold black heart beats a little bit. A little bit more. Or just a little bit at all. Because before it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, happy Spooky Wednesday, everyone. Happy Spooky Wednesday. We love you all very much. Okay. Okay. Bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye.